You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Are you kidding me? You are looking long. Winning cures everything. Now for your hosts, Gary and Chris. Welcome in, Winning Cures Everything. It is the Tuesday, July 26th edition of the show. I am your host, Gary Seegers. You can follow me on Twitter, at GaryWCE. I am back from Atlanta. Took the kids down, saw the aquarium, saw the College Football Hall of Fame, saw the Legoland Discovery Center, went to Six Flags, did all kinds of interesting things over the last few days. And, of course, the world of college football did not stop moving. There is a lot to discuss, and I'm going to try and knock that out. Uh, this is the After Dark Edition. I'm recording at 10.48 p.m. Central Time on Tuesday, July 26th. It's episode 980, by the way. That's right. We are getting closer and closer to 1,000 full episodes of the Winning Cures Everything podcast. So to those who have subscribed, we certainly appreciate you guys. If you have not, go ahead and make sure and follow the channel, subscribe to the channel on YouTube, and uh, make sure that you are subscribed to the podcast as well. Leave a nice five-star written review on Apple Podcasts and just a five-star review on Spotify. That helps us out. I know that you think it's not that big of a deal, but we do still have a large number of people that have not subscribed on YouTube or to the podcast. You just listen whenever you can, etc., but the subscriptions help, and liking the video helps, and jumping into the chat helps, and the comments, etc. So all that stuff certainly helps certainly helps us out. Let's go ahead and dive into topic number one here, Big Ten Expansion. Now, you know we love discussing the expansion rumors. It's always interesting to think about what the college football universe could look like when things move around, etc., when teams move to different conferences, the kind of matchups that we can get, because it's fun to think about the idea of USC going and playing in Ann Arbor against Michigan. It's fun to think about UCLA going to the big house and that being a conference game, right? So when these moves happen, it becomes, uh, you just want more, right? You want to see what else could be out there. If Oregon were to jump in, Oregon heading to Happy Valley to play against Penn State, or you have uh, Michigan State traveling to Los Angeles or to Washington, which we're going to actually see earlier this year or early in the season this year. But we did get a little bit of stuff from 
Kevin Warren, who told the Action Network, he is, of course, the Big Ten Commissioner, he told the Action Network, Brett McMurphy, besides Notre Dame, a handful of schools would add value to the Big Ten. Now, I have been harping for quite some time about the idea that I don't know how much more value there could be when you expand uh, past 16 teams, right? Because you might be cutting into what the per-school revenue would be. I I don't know exactly what these numbers might be. Uh, He did say that others that are being considered are early sources have said others considered Oregon, Washington, Stanford, Cal, Miami, and FSU, Florida State. And the quote from Kevin Warren is, we're not messing around. I don't want to be Sears and Roebuck. You're already not Sears and Roebuck. You are one of the two power conferences in all of FBS college football. I'm not sure that you are going to get any more value out of the next iteration. Now, obviously, he is working closely with Fox. But at what point do you get diminishing returns? Any of those schools would look cool and would obviously add some marquee matchups. But again, you're talking about devastating conferences at this point. You've already devastated the Pac-12 to a certain point. But you, you take Stanford, Oregon, or Washington. Like I don't know what Cal necessarily brings uh, other than the academics, etc. Uh, but it is another team to take some losses, which we have discussed on this show as being incredibly important so that the haves that are used to winning will continue to do so. You will continue to have that win on the schedule, and Cal could come in, keep your academics high, be aligned eh, maybe politically and academically. And along with that, you bring in the other ones, Stanford, Washington, Oregon, Miami, Florida State, whoever, uh, you're bringing a marquee name along with them that would two more would bump you up to 18, four more would bump you up to 20. So if those are the schools that the Big Ten is interested in bringing in, somebody has to lose at some point. Yes, you've got Rutgers. Yes, you've got Maryland, Indiana, etc. You've got some that are already built in to take losses. You bring in too many of those big-time schools, and that's, that's the mini-NFL side of this. NFL light, if you will, that I don't know that everybody is fully understanding. I'm incredibly curious what the point of diminishing returns would be. That's my question. Now, the other side of this is the Big Ten being in favor. Uh, Let's swap the the graphic here. Uh, The Big Ten being in favor of college football playoff expansion. Now, eh, okay. Like I think that we all knew that everybody, for the most part, wanted college football playoff expansion. And Kevin Warren coming out and saying, I'm 100% supportive of college football playoff expansion, kind of cracks me up, considering the Alliance were the ones that did not want, or did not vote for expansion, right? When all of this stuff got done with Greg Sankey and Bob Bowlesby and Craig Thompson, etc., they, oh, Jack Schwarbrick from Notre Dame, they had a plan, and we have discussed this ad nauseum on this show, but their plan was for all of these teams to go into a pot and the six highest-ranked conference champions would get those automatic qualifying bids. And then you've got six at-large bids. 
And everybody voted against it when Texas and Oklahoma announced, or not announced, but when it was reported that they were joining the SEC. When everybody freaked out about the initial conference realignment, that's when everybody should have immediately jumped in and said, yeah, we need to grab hold of these AQ bids. And the Big 12 did. They voted in favor of it. But because it had to be unanimous, the alliance, which was the Big 10, the Pac-12, and the ACC, they all voted against it, saying that there were other things that needed to be worked on before we moved into conference playoff or uh, college football playoff expansion, and that they needed to focus on this first. Now, the deal is up after 2025. This immediately lets me know that this was not for the betterment of college football. The, them voting against college football playoff expansion was simply because the Big Ten was in Fox's pocket the whole time, and they wanted Fox, or Fox wanted Fox, to have a quicker shot at getting the playoff. Because ESPN had the exclusive negotiating rights to the college football playoff at the time that that vote was held, and it would have extended the contract. Now, we did discuss at some point that the contract, you could have already expanded it starting in 2023 or 2024 or whatever, and then maybe taken it back to market after that. But ESPN would have started with it and then would have probably liked another couple of years at least tagged onto it so that you could continue with ESPN as the lone college football playoff broadcaster. They would have paid handsomely for all of those games because they were the exclusive negotiating partner. They had the rights at that point. To help the sport of college football, I believe, that would have been better. That would have been better overall to go ahead and get the playoffs set up in that fashion. Because we've seen in this sport, once you give something, it rarely ever goes away. So once you set a precedent of we're going to have a 12-team playoff and the top six conference champions get in, that would have made more sense. But instead, the Pac-12 and the ACC and even the Big Ten were all discussing a uh, an automatic quality, the autonomous five. They wanted the autonomous five to each have a playoff representative. And now I don't know that you were going to get that. While Kevin Warren did say he's 100% supportive of college football, uh, Kevin Warren did say he feels strongly that the college football playoffs should have multiple media partners when it expands. It's Fox. It's all Fox. I mean, it's just ridiculous. So, yeah, it's it's irritating to see it because this was all done with TV networks involved and in mind. But it's not necessarily better for the sport of college football overall. That is the most frustrating part of this, is you knew that that's not why they were voting against playoff expansion. It was not because it was something that needed to be fixed in college football before we moved to that. All it became part of was exactly what Kevin Warren said. He feels strongly that the CFP should have multiple media partners when it expands. That's it. That's the whole shebang. That lets you know, and I will tell you, I have never seen a conference so completely wrapped up inside of a television network. Like, I understand that Fox is giving them a lot of money. I, I get that. But it's it's never been solely about the one TV partner. Even with the SEC, they made moves that were making sense logistically, geographically, etc. With the Big Ten, this is all just Fox moves. And that's what that's what's weird about this. And 
yeah, it's it's showing us what the future of college football will be. Uh, it's one television network against another, over and over and over again. We are going to see ESPN versus Fox routinely after this. Now let's move on. I do want to bring this up. Uh, this is very interesting stuff over the last few days. We're going to talk Pac-12 rumors. We are going to talk uh, Big 12 as well. And all of this ties in together, and I'll do it right in the middle of the segment. But Jason Shear, who writes for um, Wildcat Authority, I believe it is, uh, he's an Arizona beat writer. He reported just the other day, I guess it was yesterday, uh, July 25th, he told 365 Radio, that ESPN's offer to the Pac-12 schools, the initial offer, was brutal, he said. Uh, Apparently, he says $24.5 million per school per year is the reported offer for the Pac-12. And yeah, that's pretty brutal. Uh, Fiscal year 2020, it was $33.6 million. Now, last year, it was about $20 million per school, and that includes USC and UCLA. So if they were not to add any additional schools and just stick with the 10 that they've got, ESPN was willing to pay $245 million per year for those 10 schools' media rights. Is that right? I don't necessarily know that. Rob Bowen uh, jumped on and and commented on me sharing this out on Twitter earlier, and he said basically, uh, that's wrong. Like this fiscal year 2020, the 33.6 million was based on a really old 10-year contract with Larry Scott, et cetera. That it wasn't a good deal, which it was a good deal initially, just not for the long-term effects of the contract. But you look at this and you have to wonder, what are they actually going to be worth without that LA market, without two of the biggest brands? that the the conference had to offer, right? Obviously, Washington, Oregon, et cetera, still offer a lot. But when you get down to it, you know, what what else is there? What else do they bring, right? And if you look, I mean, John Canzano jumped in on this. He said, uh, he he wrote an article called Delusion Aside, the Big 12 has nothing on the Pac-12. The numbers and the brands don't lie. And it goes through here. And he talks about the uh, Stuart Mandel article over at The Athletic, and it was a study that compared the television impact impact of the Big 12 versus the Pac-12, and the Pac-12 won by a knockout as far as TV ratings from 2015 through 2019, uh, and including 2021. It says the top six remaining Pac-12 universities outranked all the remaining Big 12 universities by average rating. Uh, Let's see, Oregon, Stanford, Washington, Washington State, Colorado, and Utah all averaged more than 1.44 million viewers per game, Oklahoma State was the Big 12's top-rated product, weighing in at 1.28 million viewers. Uh, the ability to kick off games at 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Pac-12 after dark, if you will, creates a distinct ratings advantage for the conference. Uh, as much as Pac-12 coaches and fans loathe those late games, they may be the league's saving grace in its next deal. He said, I've looked hard at the Big 12 in recent weeks, trying to figure out whether a merger with the Pac-12 made sense. Answer, nope. I also ex- uh, examined the Big 12's TV markets and wondered if there was a no-brainer target for the Pac-12 to poach. Answer, nope. I also don't think the Big 12 is a strong candidate to lure away any of the remaining Pac-12 universities. Now, this is different from Jason Shear, who obviously does not have the clout that Canzano has, but Shear remains adamant. He is confident that Arizona would rather be in the Big 12. 
and I'll explain in a minute why that may be. Uh, he said, when I asked the Pac-12 athletic directors about the possibility of Utah, Colorado, Arizona, or Arizona State leaving, I was told another round of defections was unlikely as long as Oregon and Washington remained in the Pac-12. There's your caveat, right? There's what you're looking for. As long as Oregon and Washington remain in the Pac-12. One current AD said, I don't know where all this, quote, the Big 12 is better, unquote, stuff is coming from. You wouldn't trade our troubles for theirs. Now, another interesting part of this, right? Would you trade the Big 12 issues for the Pac-12 issues if you know that at least with the Big 12, there is stability? The Pac-12 is talking about the fact that, well, none of those schools really bring any value, right? You don't bring any value to the Pac-12 with the schools that are remaining in the Big 12. Well, interesting little tidbit on 365 Sports as well. Baylor AD Mac Rhodes on the upcoming Big 12 conference TV deal. I am really optimistic we will be at the same level in terms of last season of the Big 12 contract, which is $42.6 million or better. That's including the four future members, BYU, Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston, and not including Texas or Oklahoma. So the Big 12 seems to believe that their schools will be pulling in over $40 million per year from whoever their next TV partner will be. And that may be, and that's, I was way off just the other day when I was talking about the Notre Dame and Big 12 deal with, in, in, excuse me, with NBC. Apparently I was way off because I expected them to get about $20 million per year. Yes, things may have changed a little bit as far as TV rights negotiations. But if the Big 12 is worth that much money per school, how much would the Pac-12 be worth, right? The Big 12 getting $42.6 million or better. Let's just do some quick math on, on the show. We'll just do it live as we're talking, right? $42.6 million times 12 teams. That means that ESPN or NBC or whoever would have to pay over half a billion dollars per year to the Big 12 for their television rights. Do we think that they are worth it at the current price? Maybe. But it also makes you question whether or not the Jason Shear report is actually correct. Do we think that those schools in the Big 12 could be worth $18 million more per year than the big or than the Pac-12 schools? Yeah, I mean, I guess it all depends. But again, this goes back to stability. Would you join another conference for stability? If you're Arizona and you don't want to be waiting around to see whether or not Oregon or Washington, who have probably let it be known that if the Big Ten comes calling that they are going to leave the conference, therefore leaving that entire television contract up in the air, leaving everything up in the air. So if you want to go to a home where you know that there is stability, where there's not schools that are bigger than everybody else, or don't forget the unequal revenue sharing aspect of this, there's a lot to dive into with it. There's a lot that could end up happening with this. So while you are getting different reports, varying reports from Pac-12 media, from Big 12 media, etc., it's almost impossible to sort through all of it and get any kind of a real conclusion. How much is stability worth? How much is maintaining your alliance in the Pac-10 worth? 
How much is your uh, political and academic similarities? How much is that worth, right? At the end of the day, all anybody really wants is to be stable. You want to know what the next 10 years is going to look like. And nobody in this entire sport really knows what that's going to look like. But you want to at least have a home. If Oregon and Washington or Stanford and Cal or whoever ends up leaving the Pac-12, what happens? That's what I'm curious about. What is what is the Pac-10 worth, or Pac-12, whatever they end up calling it, what is that conference worth without Oregon and Washington? And of course, we, we obviously want to know what it's worth without USC and UCLA, but say you take out those top four schools, then what have you got? Because the Big 12 just took... Uh, All of the biggest G5 schools that are left out there with Cincinnati, uh, Houston, BYU, and I'm missing somebody, uh, UCF. They just took all those. I I don't know the answer to that. I do not know the answer to that. All right, we're going to hit an ad. We've got quite a bit to discuss on the backside, so stick around. Let's take a break from the show for just a minute to give you some info on things you should know about. Visit winningcureseverything.com to find everything you need to know about us, including full shows in video or podcast form, our gambling picks, our store, the gear we use, and more. Subscribe to us on YouTube to get not only the full shows, but individual segments, along with other goodies as well. We're over 5,600 subscribers right now, and our goal by the end of football season is 7,500. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. You can visit winningcureseverything.com slash store and see what all we've added. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. I could really use Current. (laughs) I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure. And now back to the show. All right. Let's talk about Tennessee football for just a minute. Now we could discuss any number of different things that are absolutely hysterical in this. I mean, they are all hilarious uh, whether and, and we'll read some of Ross Dellinger's quick tweets to go through the La La Nails part where they were paying for a visit to a nail salon along with Chesapeake's Seafood Restaurant, etc. Uh, Niedermeyer and Gunn paid for this. Uh, there were a recruiting or there was a recruiting trip to Gatlinburg, uh, which they paid for Ripley's Aquarium of the Smokies. 
the, the school and the coaches paid for $225 uh, dollars at McDonald's. They paid for, uh, let's see, Jeremy Pruitt apparently doled out cash himself directly to recruits and their families, which is absolutely mind-blowing. Uh, a meal from Calhoun's on the river while they were on the river in a student-athlete-provided uh, boat, like fishing boat. There were a ton of different things as far as the mitigating factors, right? They say that Tennessee acted swiftly and cooperated with the NCAA. Now, what I'm basically all of this, when you get down to it, shows that Tennessee coaches, et cetera. Oh, and, and of course, Jeremy Pruitt's wife provided some of the payments for car payments and whatever else, which is insane because Pruitt's wife used to be a compliance director at Florida State, et cetera. This, you look at it $60,000-ish. It's basically nothing in regards to all the NIL stuff that is occurring right now, but at the time that this stuff occurred, and even now, it is still NCAA violations. It's still major, major violations. 18 level ones. Like, I don't know the last time a school had that many level ones. Um, what I'm curious about, there is no major media out there that is really talking about how big of a deal this is because the current Tennessee administration has convinced everybody, much the same way that Ole Miss did back in the day, etc., they convinced everybody that, hey, uh, there's nothing big here. We got rid of the coach. We got rid of all the issues, da 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 And yes, while the NCAA may be switching, it, there, we may have a completely different NCAA. We may have no NCAA, etc. We know that Mark Emmert is resigning. Somebody's going to take over that post next summer. Like There are big things going on with the NCAA. So a lot of people think that they have no teeth right now. And that may be true. That may be 100% true. But what I'm curious about is the idea that the exemplary cooperation... The administration did that in order to avoid the $12.6 million buyout by Jeremy Pruitt. Like, that, they self-reported all of this. Would the NCAA have ever dug up all of this stuff? I mean, the details on this were insane. Which, there was, there was one of them, by the way, and you, you should go listen to uh, Dan Wetzel and Pat Forty's podcast, where they discuss the fact that there was an unknown seafood restaurant where the coaches spent $125 on it. Like, why do you have expense reports on stuff like this for recruits? Why are you not paying cash? Why is your name associated with this? Like, the, the coaches were renting out hotel rooms in their name for kids to come in on unofficial visits, which is a clear NCAA violation. It's almost like this coaching staff had never coached in the NCAA before. Like, they had never been a part of any of this. I mean, it's just mind-blowing stuff when you look at it. But on the other side, would the NCAA have ever figured this stuff out if Tennessee didn't just willingly hand over all of it? And they did. And the NCAA came out and said, Tennessee, you know, was uh, they provided exemplary cooperation. But let me remind the Vols fans that don't believe that anything big will come of this, okay? Because a lot of people do believe eh, it's no big deal right now. Uh, we'll get a couple of scholarships. You know, no nothing. I think the NCAA is moving towards not having bowl bans, and they're moving into the future. They don't want to punish the uh, current athletes at the school. 
they just want to punish uh, the coaches. So, you know, Jeremy Pruitt will probably get a show cause along with the other guys that were involved, et cetera. Let me remind you about Oklahoma State basketball. Okay, we're talking about $300 worth of whatever payments, bribes, et cetera, that were done by an assistant coach that was on a different staff at Oklahoma State. And the NCAA still kept them out of the NCAA tournament. I'm just saying we think it's not a big deal until it becomes a big deal. Ole Miss did the same thing. It's It was under a different administration. and da, 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 da. Now, this one, we have proof. It was absolutely under Jeremy Pruitt's bunch. But just because you changed over staffs does not necessarily mean anything. We all know that the NCAA doesn't have any teeth, but could this be one last situation where they are wanting to show that they have force? They can't seem to do anything with the NIL stuff right now. They're already mad at Tennessee about this stuff. And not mad. Let me let me reverse that. Let me walk that back a little bit. They're not mad at Tennessee about this stuff. They're glad that Tennessee handed them all of this because they never would have found it on their own. But with all of the NIL stuff that's going on, are they maybe mad at the collective that shined a light on paying Nico Iamalieva? Iamalieva? Maybe I'll say it right one day. Uh, Nico getting $8 million from a collective, <laughs> quote, unquote, Tennessee. Like, the Tennessee boosters are going right back into this thing, much the way they did under Fulmer, et cetera, way back when, uh, for any of you old heads out there that remember that, of course. But this stuff, you, you better beware about this. Yeah, you got out of a $12.6 million buyout with Jeremy Pruitt. That's cool. Awesome. You still don't know what the NCAA is going to do here. So you better be careful. Don't count your chickens. Don't count your chickens just yet. All right, let's move over. Let's uh, let's keep this train rolling uh, because I don't want to spend forever doing a show as soon as I get back from, from vacation with my kids. But, uh, but let's talk about college football players collectively bargaining with the Big Ten. Now, this started out initially, it looked like they were going to unionize. There were all these different reports out and blah, 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 blah. Sean Clifford, the Penn State quarterback, was apparently the leader in the clubhouse for Jason Stahl and the guys over at the College Football Players Association. Uh, however, first day of Big Ten Media Days, and Jason Stahl, who is the leader of that CFBPA, documents in a newsletter how his potential unionization effort at Penn State within the Big Ten, was disrupted by a campaign to turn Sean Clifford against the CFBPA. Now, let's initially talk about the idea that Josh Pate had on Late Kick. And it's the first thing that I thought about when this unionization effort and the revenue sharing with the conference, etc. came about. Because the players, they read the news. They see how much money they are bringing into these universities. They understand that football is the bell cow. Right? The Big Ten... Bringing in USC and UCLA was obviously a money deal, and we will talk about that here in just a little bit as far as the membership portion of that. But the players see that their school will be bringing in $100 million in athletics media rights. Now, $100 million is a lot of money, and it is double what anybody is really bringing in right now. The SEC, I think, last year, now obviously there was the COVID money that was $77 million that the conference added to, whatever. Regardless, the highest that anybody's gotten thus far is like $54 million per year. 
we are now talking about two different conferences where the schools will each be bringing in over $100 million per season in athletics media rights. The schools see it. The kids see it. They all understand what they're worth. That's why the NIL market has gone bananas. So, if you look at what Josh Pate said, and let me get the numbers here, he said if you paid each player $40,000, he was looking, you know, between thirty and 40000 He said if we go on the upper end, right, on the high end, $40,000 per year for 85 scholarship football players, that is $3.4 million per school. Take it up another ten grand, brother. Jump it up to fifty thousand. That's four point two five million dollars per school. If each school makes a hundred million exactly, that is still only four point two five percent. And what he did bring up with that is the idea that yes, uh, you will be able to lock kids into contracts. So all of this talk about unlimited transfers, etc., and being able to play immediately eligible uh, or in, enable to able to have eligibility immediately regardless of where you transfer etc that will all be squashed because if you collectively bargain with these players then yes you will be able to put in that contract that we own your rights we own your playing eligibility whatever for two years for three years etc and it would basically be the same contract for every single player that comes in so nil would in effect be exactly what it's supposed to be. You would not have these recruiting inducements, or at least not as many of them, because obviously you're still going to get quarterbacks that will end up making $8 million contracts or whatever before they ever step foot on campus. <laughs> Nico. So, in this situation, the Jason Stahl stuff is really interesting because in his document, he talked about meeting Sean Clifford, going through all this, because Sean Clifford said that he is not unionizing whatever. Like, this is not going to be a union. But he, you saw videos about his teammate, Journey Brown, and Sean talked about uh, Journey Brown's medical issues and not being able to continue his career after playing at Penn State, etc. Uh, all of this was nuts because the CFBPA, or the leader of it, flew into State College and met with all the players and was able to do it without the coaches around, etc. And he does say in this newsletter that... In his final five minutes with the whole team, the element of surprise was lost when a coach discovered us, which is, it sounds shady anyway, right? 24 hours later, every administrator in the Big Ten and every coach in the Big Ten knew that I had been organizing a Penn State chapter of the CFBPA. Our campaign plan outlined in this article, which he, of course, links to, uh, had now lost the element of surprise. More importantly, the campaign to turn our star player leader against the Players Association kicked into overdrive. Commissioner of the Big Ten, Kevin Warren, personally lobbied Sean, telling him that they were creating a Big Ten Reform Committee, which he talked about during the uh, during the pandemic, when they were trying to figure out if they wanted to play football or not, all that kind of stuff, right? Uh, Kevin Warren personally lobbied Sean and wanted him to join the Big Ten Reform Committee uh, this guy said, such committees have a long track record of being ineffective, but Sean was swayed in this direction in the week after I left Penn State. I had inklings this was happening, but thought that what might actually be happening was Sean and I were working to bring Kevin Warren to the table to negotiate with player leaders for the CFBPA. I did not know for sure uh, which was the case until Sean posted a statement to his Twitter confirming that he was distancing himself from the CFBPA and joining the Big Ten committee. Now, he did say in here that Sean told me that Minnesota quarterback Tanner Morgan told him he would never support the CFBPA Big Ten campaign and has clearly weighed on Sean. Uh, this is 
this is all insane, right? Do I believe that we are going to move towards collective bargaining? Yes, absolutely. That's why I just went through these numbers. It is not that expensive for these big-time conferences to pay players. Uh, it also puts a little bit of regulation on this where you're not going to be able to get it any other way. But do I believe that the CFBPA has been turned against, etc.? Maybe. I mean, would it? Do you think they would be in the Big Ten's best interest to uh, allow players to unionize, etc.? Because that brings in a whole level of other issues. If the Big Ten can just work with their own players, as opposed to a group of players that are trying to, because trying to unionize the entire sport is a whole different deal. If you unionize each individual conference, well, that's one thing. But doing it for an entire sport is something else. So, of course, the CFBPA wanted to have a Big Ten chapter and an SEC chapter, etc., but it's still one gigantic union. I don't know how that would work. I don't know how any of this really would work, but you know that it's coming. Something along those lines will end up coming, and the Big Ten and the SEC will be the leaders in it. As soon as the Big Ten does something, uh, Josh Pate said this on Lake Kick, as soon as the Big Ten does something, if they do it on Monday, the SEC will do it on Tuesday. Like, Kevin Warren admitted as much and said they want to be a leader on this issue. Like, they, they do want to do the revenue sharing, etc. And the reason they want to do the revenue sharing is because it can allow them to control the kids. They won't be able to transfer as easily. It, do you really think that they would give up, you know, 40 or 50 grand a year, a lot of them, just for additional playing time elsewhere? Like, then you get your development strategy back. Then you get your roster management back. You get all of these. And is it worth... million dollars a year a thousand percent yes like it's a hundred percent so i'm uh i'm curious about it i'm curious to see what the next step is going to be but i would like for you guys to leave your thoughts in the comments i want to know what you guys think about this about collective bargaining etc it's not going to change how much i love the sport i know that It, it won't change anything about it for me so yeah, I mean we'll we'll see what ends up happening, but this was uh this was interesting to say the least. To say the least. All right. Uh next up on the board, Anaya Smith. Of course, we talked about him last week. I do want to jump in on this because my I questioned quite a bit about this during SEC Media Days. Um he was arrested and charged with a ton of stuff, right? And the school announced that they are putting in a definite suspension on Anaya Smith. He's Texas A&M's leading returning wide receiver. But here's the latest as far as this goes. Uh, College Station attorney Craig Greening, who represents Aggie football star receiver Anaya Smith, says Texas A&M has lifted the suspension on his client. He said, I confirmed with Anaya himself that the suspension has been lifted. Uh, He can return to football practice. It shows the university believes in his innocence that they looked at all the facts and they believed the suspension should be lifted. Said Smith was arrested Wednesday by Texas A&M police and charged while driving while intoxicated, unlawful carrying of a weapon, and possession of less than two ounces of marijuana. After looking at all the facts, Grinning said Friday, Anias, quote, is an innocent man. Now, this is, this is very interesting because it, there's all these different things here. I, I have not seen where he was pulled over. I have not seen any of that, but is there some kind of a conspiracy going on here? Like, what is what is the deal with this situation? Because that was a fairly big arrest. Um, 
driving while intoxicated, unlawful carrying of a weapon, and possession of less than two ounces of marijuana, anywhere other than Texas, you know, the two ounces of marijuana would not be that big of a deal. In Texas, probably a pretty big deal. Uh, unlawful carrying of a weapon, uh, pretty big deal. I mean, in Nevada, you can you can go to jail for that. Uh, driving while intoxicated. I mean, again, kind of depends on the state. Uh, but there's a lot of people, or a lot of states that are making examples out of people for this. You're telling me all of this was rigged and that Anias is innocent? Yeah, I'm, I'm real curious. So I, I want to know what went into Texas A&M's thinking. I want to know what actually happened here. Uh, but, I mean, t- cheers to Anias Smith. If he is innocent, yes, absolutely. That's great that A&M looked at this and did not continue to suspend a guy that did nothing wrong. But I just want to know how this was set up. Like, why? <laughs> what was he arrested for? Why did why did cops feel the need to actually arrest him and it become this big deal and make Smith end up missing SEC media days? That's what I'm looking for this week. That's what I want to know. All right, let's hit some more ads really quick. Last one for the show, and then we are back on the other side with uh, four other quick topics. Let's take a break from the show for just a minute to give you some info on things you should know about. Follow the show on Twitter, at Winning Cures, or you can follow the guys at GaryWCE and at Chris B. Giannini, or you can also follow us on Facebook. If you want more content from me, Gary, visit BetUSTV.com. I host the How to Gamble on Sports show, and from August through January, the BetUS College Football Show. You can subscribe to both on YouTube. Got your own podcast or web show? Looking to start one? Or you're just curious how we look and sound so good? Well, we've got all the gear that we use listed on our gear page on the website. If you order using our links, you'll be supporting the show too. If you're interested in advertising on a show that reaches over 80,000 unique football fans per month during the season, send an email to Gary at winningcureseverything.com and we'll put together a plan that best fits you or your business. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And now, back to the show. USC and UCLA will enter the Big Ten as full members in 2024. Now, 
The story, of course, is over at The Athletic. Big Ten Media Days, Kevin Warren had a lot to say about everything. And in this situation, he said, uh, USC and UCLA will come in as full members. And, of course, my login situation here, of course. Let's see if I can finish it up. Boom. All right. So, uh, he says that they will come in as full members. There. Uh, The Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren said Tuesday, we think that's important for various reasons. They bring a lot of value to our relationship. They bring a lot of panage to our relationship. And we look forward to welcoming uh, welcoming them into the Big Ten family here in 2024. Now, what's interesting, you'll see if you're looking at the screen, it says this is a departure from the league's previous position of requiring a waiting period for new schools. Nebraska had to wait multiple years before they were considered a full member and were able to get the full value of their media rights. Maryland and Rutgers both did the same exact thing. Now, it says pre-expansion estimates had the Big Ten receiving more than $1 billion annually from a new media rights agreement that goes into effect in 2023. The number likely soars with USC and UCLA, which share the number two market, Los Angeles. Warren would not reveal a revenue target either for the league or its members. We're still working through that. I don't want to guess what that would be. I know we'll reach that decision here pretty quickly. Uh, he did say at some point in all of his uh, talking that uh, they are hoping to announce something very, very soon as far as who their new media partners will be. And it could be as many as three from all the sources that I've heard from. So uh, you could have, you know, uh, Fox handling the majority of things because they own like a, what, 61% stake in the Big Ten right now, uh, the Big Ten Network, et cetera. But along with that, you could have CBS getting the afternoon game. You could have NBC getting the evening game or whatever it may be, right? There are multiple. Apple really wants in on this. There's a lot of people that could get involved with it. But the fact that USC and UCLA are going to come in as full members lets me know one thing and one thing only. It was not USC and UCLA that reached out to the Big Ten looking for membership. This was the Big Ten and obviously everybody has talked about this and whatnot, that the Big Ten wanted to expand, et cetera, that Fox told the Big Ten to reach out to whoever. What this is, is it was a coordinated effort to move USC and UCLA over to the Big Ten. This was not USC and UCLA initially not being happy with their situation in the Pac-12. Yes, I understand that the revenue sharing was completely different. I get that. But uh, the fact that we've come out and seen this, where they were willing to go against all of the previous expansion rules that they had in place before and just immediately include them as full members, that's some shady stuff. That's some interesting stuff, which could give the Pac-12 a reason to sue the Big Ten. Because you remember there was all the discussion about the Big 12 suing the SEC or suing ESPN, etc. In this situation... You could, act, because remember, with the big, uh, the big 12 moves, right? Oklahoma and Texas moving over to the SEC, you had a history of the Big 12 being irritated, especially Oklahoma, being irritated about early kickoffs. Texas has been irritated about it as well. Uh, just the time slots, the way that the negotiations had gone in the past, the fact that they couldn't get any kind of a uh, stable, what's the word I'm looking for? They could not get any answers on what their next media rights deal might look like from ESPN, from anybody. Nobody would commit to the Big 12 as far as their media rights. They they basically, ESPN told them, nah, we don't really want to negotiate right now. 
And in that situation, Oklahoma and Texas saw the writing on the wall. In this situation, the Pac-12 stuff had not even begun yet. I mean, you hear George Klyovkov, as soon as USC and UCLA move, the rest of them ask Klyovkov to start negotiations now. That means they had not started. They had not begun, which is nuts. But here we are. Because, of course, Klyovkov had no idea this was going on. Uh, this was a Fox deal. This was the Big Ten that was reaching out to them. I mean, it's it's all shady. It's it's all shady, and, and it lets you know, again, USC and UCLA basically were told, hey, if you guys want to come over here, we can pay you, uh, you know, triple what you're making over there. Like, it, it was that easy. So, and yes, do I blame USC and UCLA for leaving? Absolutely not. Do I blame the Big Ten for needing to come up with some kind of a response to the SEC realignment, to the SEC expansion? No, because I understand that they needed to be able to keep up, and their negotiating rights are up right now. Like they, Their media rights deal is ready to go, and they knew that they needed more than what they had. So, interesting stuff. Interesting stuff there. Speaking of expansion, the Sun Belt. Now, the commissioner, Keith Gill, he said that they are exploring all opportunities and are not ruling out further expansion as Old Dominion and three others join. Uh, that would be Marshall and James Madison and Southern Miss are the other schools here. Uh, this article by David Hall over at the Virginian Pilot. And he said, uh, Old Dominion and three other schools are less than a month into their memberships into the Sun Belt. And if the right candidates become available, then they might not be the newest members for long. Now, Keith Gill said Tuesday that the 14-school league potentially could grow to as many as 20 programs, although he's comfortable with its current iteration. Here's the quote. I don't think we're actively looking to expand. I think we feel good about our membership and where it is, but I don't think we'll take anything off the table and we're exploring all opportunities. And so, if there's a really good institution that makes sense for us, that's like-minded, that's in our geographic footprint, and that brings value to the Sun Belt, we would certainly be open to having conversations with those schools and adding. Now, those are very interesting keys right there. Really good institution that makes sense for us, that is like-minded in our geographic footprint and brings value to the Sun Belt. Well, the geographic footprint of the Sun Belt has been expanded since the last go-round. You want to look at a map here, you can see that this is, I mean, it's full. Georgia State, Troy, South Alabama, all the way down to Louisiana, and then you move on up, and you move into Marshall, which is in West Virginia. Uh, You've got Arkansas State. So basically, you're talking the entire Southeast. Now, who would make sense in that spot? Uh, The Sun Belt did announce expanded media rights with ESPN. Right For the second straight year, Sunbelt Conference Commissioner Keith Gill announced during his annual State of the Conference address uh, that the conference has expanded its media rights deal with ESPN. The new agreement, which still runs through the 2030 and 31 academic year, will provide the Sunbelt with additional financial resources, exposure, and linear opportunities for Sunbelt football and basketball. Now, it expands upon the extended ESPN media rights relationship that was announced last year. It results in a more than 50% increase in the number of Sunbelt football games that appeared in ESPN's linear offerings, which is ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, and ESPNU, including 40% of those new opportunities televised on a Saturday. 
So these are not just weeknight games, etc. ESPN understands exactly how big this conference can get, how big the matchups are. You have good football schools in the Sun Belt. But if he's talking about more expansion, uh, one, the rumor number, because they didn't release the number for what the deal actually is, but it looks like these schools are getting paid like $2 million a year, somewhere around there. Uh, if ESPN wanted to up that even to $5 million a year, like it, it would be worth it. Because while they don't have monster ratings all the time, you do get insanely good matchups and you get good regional rivalries. Right? Uh, there's, there's a lot to like about what you're getting from the Sun Belt here. If they were going to expand with anybody, I don't think that any of the AA schools... AAC schools are looking to move backwards because they're already making quite a bit, and I'm not sure what the next TV deal will be. Mike Oresco will figure out whatever. I don't imagine they will lose a ton of money from losing Cincy, Houston, and UCF. Uh, Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they'll jump back to about the same price that the Sun Belt is, and if that is the case, that's going to be a big problem. But regardless, the runs that I've got down here that would make sense as far as other conferences, etc., You've got the Mac schools, of course. You, you got Kent State, you got Bowling Green, you got Miami of Ohio, you got Ohio, whatever. Um, you also have, if you look at it, Western Kentucky, Middle Tennessee State, maybe Louisiana Tech, uh, somewhere along there. Like uh, you, you have schools in this footprint that would make sense, right? I don't know that any of them make sense right now, like. FAU is in Florida. The Sun Belt doesn't really have a presence in Florida. If if they didn't take, uh, if FAU has gone over to the AAC, would FIU, would Florida International down in Miami, would they make sense to go to the Sun Belt? I mean, their program has really not given a crap at all. Like the administration just does not support them. And maybe they'll start with the new coach, but eh. It, it's it's kind of slim pip, uh, pickings at this point, really. Uh, if you if you sit down and really start looking at this, um, I don't know. I'm I'm very very curious where we end up going as far as conference expansion in the Sun Belt. Uh, the next topic on the docket here. This one's interesting. This one's very interesting to me. Nick Saban, apparently, according to the new John Talty book that is coming out in August. He considered leaving Alabama for ESPN back in 2014. Now, this is an article from Ryan Glassbeagle over at the New York Post. And he goes through, he says, uh, Nick Saban had meetings in 2014 about potentially leaving Alabama to work for ESPN. That is according to the new book, uh, The Leadership Secrets of Nick Saban from AL.com Senior Sports Editor John Talty. Those who have heard Saban castigate the media for propagating rat poison might be surprised to learn that the legendary college football coach, who is now 70, once considered joining the worldwide leader. Prior to the 2013 season, Saban met with Nick Kahn, who was then a sports media talent agent at CAA, who represented Kirk Herbstreet, Skip Bayless, Colin Cowherd, Mike Greenberg, and numerous others, Talty reports. Late into the season, however, Alabama's national championship aspirations ended with a devastating loss uh, to in-state rival Auburn. The game, often referred to as the Kick Six, saw Auburn's Chris Davis catch a short field goal attempt from Alabama kicker Adam Griffith, which he ran for a touchdown to put the Tigers up 34-28. to So, um, 
when the season ended, it says Saban is said to have empowered Khan to reach out to ESPN with a message that Saban was thinking about the next chapter in his career and considering whether media should be a part of that. Now, here's the interesting part to me. After the 2013 season is when this happened. Very interesting, right? There was a lot. It, of course, you can read it in the book. You can go read this article, etc. cetera. Uh, my thought process on this is, of course, he reached out to ESPN. 2014, that season is when the college football playoffs started. So you were getting a whole new iteration of the sport at that point. You had just had the kick six happen. Uh, the offenses in college football were completely changing from what Saban was used to. You saw nonstop how much Gus Malzahn annoyed Nick Saban. Remember 2013, that Iron Bowl game, yes, the kick six is one thing, but the reason we got to the kick six is because of the lineman downfield rule that just was basically blatantly ignored by referees for multiple teams that year. They were letting RPOs go crazy. Offenses were taking advantage of defenses. And remember, Nick Saban is a defensive guy. Heading into the 2014 season is when Nick Saban hired Lane Kiffin to revamp his offense. So does it make sense to me? Yes. So the question here, and I'm sure Auburn fans absolutely love this, is did Gus Malzahn almost make Nick Saban quit in 2014? That's the real question here. Imagine how much the sport, how much the history of the sport would be different if Nick Saban had decided to quit football and just go be a commentator, just go be on college game day or whatever after that 2013 season. He, he's won three more championships since then, 2015, 2017, and 2020. How different would things be for all of these programs in the SEC? Gus Malzahn would likely still have his job at Auburn. That's one thing. But if, if Saban had not gotten Lane Kiffin and empowered him to change over the offense in Tuscaloosa, if he hadn't decided that he still had some unfinished business, Right, because Saban wanted to go for that third national championship, and I'm sure that that was crushing. But, you know, you go and you check out ESPN, you see what's going on, do you want to be a part of this, etc. Yeah, he, he decided to stick around, and now here he is, got a contract through 2029 in Tuscaloosa. He is 70 years old right now, heading into the 2022 season. He'll be 71 in October, if I'm not mistaken. I might be wrong about that. Regardless, somebody can tell me. Somebody jump in the comments. Let me know. Uh, if you hadn't already followed the channel, subscribe, whatever. Um, but yes, very interesting. Did Gus Malzahn almost make Nick Saban quit before the 2014 season? Something to think about. Something to think about for sure. All right, last topic of the day, and this one's a very interesting. It'll get us right up to the hour. Matt Corral expressed regret over going to play for Ole Miss. Now, I found this incredibly interesting, right? He said, I took the easy way out. Uh, he told the Charlotte Observer, I took the easy way out because I felt I could play right away. He said about his decision to go to Ole Miss. Knowing what I know now and trusting my instincts and trusting my work ethic, I would have went to a place that would have made me compete. Now, this is, of course, interesting because it's not like Corral came in and played immediately. He attempted 22 passes as a freshman. He shared the starting quarterback job with John Rice Plumley in 2019. He went through multiple offensive coordinators. He 
he got incredibly lucky, I would say, that Lane Kiffin came in and basically overhauled his career. Because, my gosh, uh, he did not look like he was going to be much of anything when he initially got to Oxford. He He caused a lot of trouble. He makes it seem like he could have gone anywhere that he wanted to. But remember, there was a reason why he was going to Ole Miss, who had Matt Luke as their coach at that point. There were a lot of schools that would not recruit him. I mean, he was a big-time four-star recruit out of California, and it's not like he had a a high level of suitors here. There were people that were interested if they could figure out exactly what the behavior issues were. Right? So let's not act like he could just go any place he wanted to. But for him to say, I would have went to a place that would have made me compete... That's a bit of a joke. I mean, just just absolutely ridiculous for him to come out and say that. I think to burn bridges at a place that you just got drafted to the NFL out of, what is the purpose of that? It just doesn't make any sense at all for him to say anything about this. Like, ah, you know, I was young and dumb, and I chose Ole Miss for all the wrong reasons. Like, come out and say something else about how how great the school was or whatever. Like, don't say, I would have gone someplace that made me compete. Because you did compete for your first two years. Like, you got beat out a lot of the time by a guy that isn't exactly a great passer. Like, he had, obviously, some of that had to do with the offense coordinator that was there with Rich Rodriguez. But regardless, I mean, what are you doing? All right. That is going to wrap this thing up. You guys have been absolutely fantastic. Again, thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for letting me take off on Monday because I was in Atlanta with my kids. Uh, Fun stuff. I mean, just a whole lot of fun stuff from over the weekend. But yes, we will be continuing on. I don't know that SEC previews will be done this week. I have a lot to do. uh, So we may end up doing those the first week of August. Now, with that said, there will be more stuff to discuss because we still have Big Big 10 media days. We've got Pac-12 media days. All this... I I cannot wait until we get even more quotes. I cannot wait to discuss all the different rumors and whatnot with you guys. <sighs> but until then, we're going to go ahead and get out of here. You guys take care of yourself, take care of each other, and hopefully all of your tickets cash this week. Thanks for listening to the Winning Cures Everything podcast. The website is winningcureseverything.com, and if you want to connect with us, we're on Twitter, at GaryWCE, at ChrisBGiannini, at Winning Cures, or you can email us, Gary at winningcureseverything.com, or Chris at winningcureseverything.com. Subscribe everywhere you need to subscribe, and we'll see you soon. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.